Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi, my name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks to how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi everybody, today I'm so excited. We have Paulina here and she is going to be sharing her story about living with arthritis and also how she discovered yoga and why yoga is so helpful. So hi Paulina, can you just give a brief introduction to yourself to start off? Yes, of course. Hi there everyone. I'm so excited to be here. This is so Yes, yeah, so super cool to be part of Cheryl's podcast. Um, so I'm Paulina, I'm 23 years old. I am originally from Poland, grew up in England. Now I'm living in Germany, so sort of been around everywhere. Um, and I'm living with rheumatoid arthritis since I was 18. Awesome. And so what made you interested in trying out yoga? Right, so my yoga journey sort of started at a pretty similar time of my diagnosis, which is crazy to think about. Um, but when I first was diagnosed, even though the symptoms came on literally overnight, I managed to get into remission six months later. So it was a pretty quick sort of response um, after getting through the deductors and all of that jazz. Um, after six months, I pretty much went into remission. And one of my friends from dance that I used to go to in England, um, was a yoga, well, still is a yoga teacher. And I basically just wanted to go try it out, see what it is, because I've never done it before. And I just fell in love with it. I have no idea. It just made me feel like I finally have time for myself. Like this is actually something I'm doing just for me, not for anyone else. And it doesn't matter. And I really loved the whole aspect of even though you're going to a yoga class and there's a group, there's, there's no competition of how you're doing it in comparison to someone else. So it's a group practice, but it's still such an individual practice. And I think that's sort of what made me stick around with yoga um, right from the beginning. And then, so back then I was sort of in remission. So I was doing a little bit more Ashtanga yoga, which is a bit more hardcore and sort of, yeah, not really paying attention much to my joints. Um, however, 
Then I sort of stopped because I moved to Germany three years ago and it was really hard to juggle everything new and then do yoga at the same time. And I didn't really have my own established practice without a teacher's guidance at that point. So I was doing it off and on. Um, and then as I moved to Germany, my symptoms all flared up once again, very quickly, much pretty much the same as it did in the beginning, which was just very much overnight. Um, and after I got my condition sort of under control, I started getting more into yoga again, actually because of COVID. <laughs> so wow. beginning of this year, um, beginning of this year, I the teacher from England started doing online classes. So I was like, oh my gosh, I can go back to the teacher that I loved and I can do it again online. And yeah, so I started doing that. However, I noticed that I wasn't able to do as much as I maybe was able to do five years ago because my condition is at a completely different point now than it was five years ago. Um, and yeah, so I then started to have to sort of do my own research to see how I can modify yoga and if I should even be doing it. Um, so yeah, so then it sort of got me interested more into the health aspect of yoga and it for arthritis and it for my own body at that time in comparison to how it was five years ago when it was sort of just a, let's say, a regular yoga practice. Um, yeah. Not like quote unquote adapted yoga. Like you could just follow the directions of the teacher like everyone else in the class, it sounds like initially. And then now when your disease got more involved, you had to modify like where your wrists were or yeah. And that that's a great point that I think the listeners, you know, could take, which is, you know, you don't necessarily have to modify things for in, in yoga if your disease is well controlled, either through lifestyle factors or through medicines or whatnot. But just because your disease isn't perfectly controlled, that doesn't mean you can't do yoga at all. You can still find some modifications, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And on top of that, there's so many different types of yoga. So you can just see what fits best for you in your moment of life. For me, five years ago, it was more stronger yoga or ashtanga yoga, which is more flowy, much more stronger poses. Whereas now, what my body actually benefits from is a slower vinyasa practice to actually link the breath into the movement, and which is what vinyasa practicing is. And then you have the beautiful styles of restorative yoga, which is literally just laying on a pillow in different positions. Like anyone can do that. I love that one. Yeah, or a beautiful yoga nidra where you're literally just laying down in some sort of a yogic sleep. So there's so many different types of yoga that you can find and you can try out to see what is going to benefit you and your body best in that moment. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, the implicit point you've made, I think hopefully the audience will get, which is that there's not, yoga is not just one thing. You know, it is a broad umbrella term for lots of different kinds, kind of like running. You could run a marathon or you could run up the stairs or you could, it's actually even more more uh, broad than that because there's the more, like you mentioned, the breath focused versus the physical pose focus. There's fast, there's hot yoga, there's slow. And I think in the Western countries, like I know, especially the US, because we like to commodify everything, it's gotten a little confusing, I think, for consumers because it's like for a while it just seemed like, oh, yoga is just like a quote unquote exercise trend, right? It's like we took all these beautiful, like spiritual parts of it and we're like, uh, let's not worry about that. Let's just move our bodies around and like, let's just do yoga for, you know, um, exercise, but not that that's bad thing, right? Exercise is great. But, um, like it's, you know, you just mentioned these different kinds of yoga that people in the Western countries might not have even known about, like the restorative and the yoga nidra. So how did you, um, get now? So you, you, you transformed from student to now the student has become the teacher. How did that happen? <laughs> um, yeah, that did happen. So it happened as sort of a blessing in disguise once again, thanks to this beautiful situation in the world from Corona. Um, I was thinking about the idea of completing my teacher's qualification, but the main purpose of it wasn't even to teach. It was to learn ways of what is actually best for my body. Um, I knew the amazing benefits yoga has, but I didn't know anything about the body's anatomy. I didn't truly know how it affects our nervous system or how it affects our body from practicing yoga. So really my initial 
thought was, I just want to learn more so that I, I am safer and it can establish a much stronger practice for myself. Um, so yeah, so that's sort of where it started. And then I never had the chance to do it because job because work because everything but then corona hit i lost my job so a big window of time opened up and i was like okay perfect like if i don't do this now i don't think when i don't know when i will have the other chance to do it again so yeah so then i found the most perfect and beautiful school to do my qualification on which focused a lot about the body's anatomy the safety aspects and they really preach that yoga is not like there's no full poles in yoga there is no right or wrong way of doing yoga and every single person looks completely differently in each posture so I was so lucky that I found them or maybe it's just what was meant to happen um, that I came across them in my journey and halfway through my teacher's qualification after finding out the amazing details of how yoga actually affects our body our mind our soul it was sort of like, like, I can't just keep this for myself. <laughs> it was like, I just have to, and I really want to share this with other people so that they can see what amazing benefits they can achieve from yoga. And I know that, you know, people were living with chronic illnesses. We always get told about this medication, that medication, and there's so many different, you know, natural ways of helping our body. And if we can do that one extra thing that could help our body naturally, then why wouldn't we try? Or at least that's my way of thinking. Why wouldn't we give something natural a go? So this this was my thinking. If someone is open to trying a natural way of helping their body, and yoga is a truly powerful one in that, then I'd love to be part of that process for someone because I saw the amazing transformation for myself. That's that's so beautiful. And I know that you and I have briefly talked about this before, but I think yoga can sometimes in the chronic illness community, unfortunately gets a little bit of a bad name because so many well-meaning people in people's lives who are sick. So the person who's sick will say, oh, I have this chronic illness. And then the other person in their life will say, oh, just try yoga. You should just try yoga. And people get tired of hearing that. And so sometimes I think that the chronic illness warriors are like, oh, yoga, like I don't, everyone's telling me to do it. I don't even want to try it because I'm just irritated by them. But, you know, we don't want to like throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, you know, just because people might be irritating us with their suggestion of yoga doesn't mean that yoga will actually not help for us, you know? And I think your story is a beautiful example of that. And I would love to hear a little bit more in your own personal journey, you know, how has yoga helped you manage like the mental and the physical challenges of RA? Yeah, no, and that's so right what you mentioned. It's unfortunate that people try to push these natural ways in the sense of, you know, this is going to cure us. Like this is, I think that as soon as someone approaches us and says, oh yeah, just try this, it's going to cure you. As soon as we hear that word, we're like, well, you're sort of uneducated because, well, there's no cure. Um, and then we sort of shut off the whole topic. But yeah, it's, it's like what you said, you just have to give it a go because if it could help, it's not going to harm you if you do it the right way. And if it can help naturally, then why wouldn't someone want to give that gift to their body? And for me, yoga has been a huge help from both the mental and the physical aspect. Um, let's, let's talk about the physical one first. <laughs> Good, so, yeah. Yeah, so yoga is amazing to, like I mentioned briefly already, it has amazing benefits for our nervous system by practicing yoga and linking that breath, that sort of meditative aspect to it. We can either increase our nervous system to the sympathetic nervous system or the parasympathetic nervous system. So either the stress response where the body's like pumped and ready to go or the relaxed, digesting, restoring and healing state of our nervous system. So as you can tell, or as you can probably think, someone living with a chronic illness, and I mean anyone in the world really, but people especially with chronic illness, our body needs even more time to heal, to regenerate, to relax, to digest, because it's already going through so much every single day on like full speed to keep us feeling okay, that we need to give it that time even more than someone without a chronic illness. And by practicing yoga, you can do these specific practices, these specific breathing techniques, these specific ways of the different yoga postures that will help your body get into a 
restorative into a healing state, the parasympathetic nervous system. So that for me has been a huge help because I've noticed that when I practice regularly, I feel more stretched out because my body is more mobile by bringing that movement, oiling up those joints, warming up the muscles and the, and the joints. So I'm more mobile. I don't get stiffness as much. And thanks to the resting state, the parasympathetic nervous state, when we get into that with yoga, I've noticed that I have more energy. Like, you know, we still feel tired, we still feel fatigued, and we still have those days. But when I compare this to before, I feel more energized. So sometimes, yes, I could be sitting and not doing much, but I still feel this this energy and not like, you know, I'm just a couch potato sitting on my couch. So it's a sort of different feeling. Um, and another thing in my, in my physical sort of benefits is like I just briefly touched on is how the muscles work, how oiling up those joints. By practicing yoga, we are using our own body weight. So we are teaching our muscles to hold the weight of our own body, which is what they're meant for. Our joints are not meant to carry any weight. And by practicing yoga, it has taught me, first of all, how I can use my muscles correctly so that I don't injure any joints. And it also has managed to improve my muscles because then my muscles learn how to hold my body, hold my own body weight in a safe way so that I don't have to lift any weights if, if that's not what feels right for my body. Um, and I can just teach my muscles, this is my body weight and this is what I need you to support. So by practicing these yoga practices, that's what I found really beneficial. I find that I feel stronger even though you know, I'm not lifting any weights. I'm not training my muscles, but you're still using your own body weight. Um, and then from the mental side, it's before I sort of went into this regular yoga journey, I hit a huge roller coaster of emotions in my life. And yoga was an amazing addition to now have because it allows me to simply sit still with myself and that's, that's such a powerful thing to do, to realize why you're feeling a specific way or even to realize how you're feeling because sometimes we could be angry, but actually the underlying emotion that we have is maybe sadness or frustration or jealousy or anything like that. So by sitting just with myself and giving myself that time to truly dive into that, it helps me learn more about myself, about my body, about my mind, what's going on and what can I do to help it at that moment. I don't, even though before my body awareness was pretty established or something. Oh, I don't know even if you can say that, but um, my, body sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my body awareness, like I know that, okay, this part was hurting and this is what I need. I need rest. But now with yoga, it goes even further than the physical body. It's also the mental state because sometimes I find that our chronic community were such givers all the time. Like pretty much every single one of us just wants to give and help and support. And by having yoga in my life now, I can realize when I'm maybe giving too much and maybe it's time for me to fill up my own cup. So it really puts things into perspective to realize yeah, okay, what is it that I need physically? And what is it that I need mentally to live my happy, my healthy life? Yeah. And when I took a class with you, the thing that really stood out to me for my own journey is how, how beneficial it was to simply just connect to the present moment, like in that meditation aspect, which you can do apart from yoga, or you can do while you're doing yoga, but, you know, just focusing on, okay, breathing, where's my body, you know, stretching out. And it was like, it almost just brought into stark reality to me or stark focus, how often I'm not connected to the present moment. I'm thinking about the future. What am I going to do tonight? What am I going to do tomorrow? What's, you know, juggling all the tasks in my life. And so that feeling of just super, attentiveness to precisely just what's going on right now and like reigning in that kind of monkey mind um, was was really powerful for me. And again, not to say that it's bad to think about the future, but there there is a benefit to spending some amount of time just being present 
you know, and you had me say, feel or, or think about an intention for the day. And my intention was to be present. And I actually found myself even just through one session of yoga throughout that whole day. And the next day I would think I would redirect my brain back. Oh, my intention today is to be present. You know, and I would, cause I would find like, even if I was playing with my son, I might suddenly kind of start, Oh, I want to check my phone. Oh, I want to see, Oh yeah. What's for dinner? Should I start, you know? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, how often a day in the day am I not actually present? So that was another thing I wanted to personally add because that was really powerful for me. Yeah. That's so beautiful that you shared <laughs> that because it's, it's so true. I mean, yes, of course we need to think about the future and yes, of course we need to have these, you know, to do's and sort of have our life together to know what we're going to do in the evening or tomorrow so that we're not just walking around purposely, but to be present in the moment, it gives you this, I believe that for me anyway, it it gives me this, I don't know, this magical feeling of like, you know, I'm alive in this moment, in this time, in this body, in this place. And this is what matters now. Like the past is the past. All that that is, is just a memory now. The future is not even here yet. So why am I not in a place where it's actually present? This is the gift. I mean, the whole word itself, present, gift. It's, it's what we have. It's, it's the thing that we need to learn how to treasure the most um, because we can miss out on so many beautiful moments in life by not being present. Even a simple walk to the shop, if you're just thinking, okay, I'm going to go to the shop and do this and that, you can miss the birds singing. You can miss the, the beautiful sunshine or the blue sky or maybe missing what's actually feeling in your body in that moment. So. Thank you for sharing that. That's really beautiful that you found yourself. Um, and like I say, realization and awareness is the first step to be even able to do something about it. Yeah. And, and many times I've talked to people who have chronic illnesses and a, a shared experience that many of us have is um, anxiety about the future, which makes sense, right? If you're in pain, you wonder to yourself, like your brain naturally perceives you know, pain as a threat and you, for your survival, want to think about, you know, get that sympathetic nervous system gets activated and how am I going to resolve this threat to me? You know, how is it going to go away? How can I make it go away? And you can kind of get fixated on that instead of, is there a possibility of connecting to the present moment and being fully here, even with pain, which I think is a really counterintuitive example. And it's taken me at least therapy to get there, like psychology therapy. Um, but it's pretty powerful if you're able to, to do that. And, and, you know, I've never had to do that when my pain's at like a nine out of 10. So I'm not going to say like, it's possible for everyone all the time, but does that make sense? Like the pain makes you want to like solve a problem, you know, like solve it, solve yeah. it, solve it. And it is not, it's not bad to have that mode sometimes, but 24 hours a day, if you can't, if there's also nothing more you can do, sometimes there's nothing more you can do. So it can be really helpful to focus on the present. And actually speaking of my, I mean, I gave kind of my student example. Do you have any other examples from the students that you've taught? Um, even just in the last few months, I know you've had so many, you've been very busy yet present <laughs> um, teaching a lot of classes. Are there any like examples of things, those aha moments or transformations or that you've seen in your students from yoga? Yeah, so um, a lot of them mentioned pretty much a similar thing to what you said. It's just this whole simple being present. Um, And another thing that I find my students coming back to me and saying is just how energetic they feel afterwards. It's, It's crazy because, you know, you're moving, so you'd think that you're going to be more tired because this is what happens most of the time for us with a chronic illness. We do something and then we pay for it with less energy. Um, but they actually found the opposite was happening to them, that by giving their body the right type of yoga, because that that's sort of the yoga classes that I teach. I don't teach super intense, you know, let's get our sweat on and anything practices. It's more about the healing, the therapeutic, mindful aspect of movement. And this is what a lot of them have found that after a yoga session, they feel more energized, they feel more productive. And in their own bodies, they realize different parts of their body that they never put awareness to. So going into specific postures to feel a specific muscle or a joint and then realizing, oh, actually this doesn't feel right today. So maybe I need to send some more care to that area or, you know, maybe I need to massage that area a little bit more. 
And it helps them find that awareness in their own body a lot more and a lot deeper with the yoga practice. So yes, the energy aspect, the awareness aspect, um, and one student uh, that doesn't have arthritis but has a chronic illness, she has a lot of problems with sleeping. And after a yoga practice, I think it was a yoga nidra or um, our private session. I can't remember exactly, but she said that for the first time she slept for hours without interruption. So that's, that was such a beautiful thing to hear from her because we all know how important sleep is. And when you can't get asleep because of either pain or anxiety or anything that's going on in your body and your mind to actually then be able to have a fully restful sleep. Like sometimes that's literally all that we need for a whole month. If you just have one night of amazing sleep, you'll feel like you're rocking the world. So to hear that from her, it also shows you that there's like two aspects from it. By practicing yoga, it gives your body what it needs. So for her, it was that rest, that full sleep. For someone else, it was energy to feel productive. And this is why yoga is such a beautiful individual practice because it truly allows you to connect to yourself, to your own body and give it what it is that you need, not anyone else. So someone who wanted that more productive state and that's what their body needed, that's what they felt afterwards. And for someone who needed that rest, then that's what their body repaid them for after a yoga practice is it allow them to have a restful sleep. Um, so yeah, those are just a few of the, 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 a few of the things that I've heard um, from my students that have participated in the lessons. And it, it's just so beautiful to hear that, to even have one little positive aspect of, uh, of yoga to, to affect their life in one way or another. That's, that's really powerful. I loved your point about how it can be, it's really about the individual's own goal, you know, and what, where their body's at. And even though we might all have the same diagnosis of, you know, rheumatoid arthritis or ankylosing spondylitis or psoriatic arthritis, or just in another chronic illness, we might all need different things. You know, I can certainly say over 17 years, I've needed a lot of different things at different times. So um, I think some Uh, audience members might just be curious, like, again, if they're maybe a little bit overwhelmed, or maybe they tried yoga once and it it was painful, or they were, they're kind of hesitant. What are some of the common modifications that people with RA might need? And when they do yoga, and do you recommend that when they start a new yoga class that they tell the yoga teacher that they have this condition? Right. So um, I'll take this into two parts. And the modifications part, I would say that For me, for example, the thing that affects my body the most is my wrists. My wrists tend to be the most fragile. They need the more amount of care. They flare up the most often. So the modifications that, for example, I would do in my own practice is maybe have more hands-free yoga, which is super fun, super playful, and it is doable. Um, And this is what I would sort of say for every single person, and you touched on it just just a second ago, even though we might have RA, both of us, we experience it completely differently in our bodies, which is, it's crazy. It's the same diagnosis, yet we feel it completely differently and we feel it in completely different body parts. So it's about finding where your, which body body parts are the ones which are affected the most that might need that extra modification. And I think a lot of it comes down to props. So either a towel or a book or a pillow or a scarf or a belt. And to have these props at hand that can help you modify. And of course, if you have any arthritis in your spine or anything to do with your chest or your shoulders, then it's about modifying or even your knees, because these are the very fragile aspects that you really need to be careful about. It's sometimes just best to not even do anything with that body part or just do some very gentle movement where you don't put any body weight on it or with the chest or the spine to be very careful when you're bending or, or going forwards and bending backwards or forwards. So the most common modifications, it's really difficult to give a very specific answer to this because it's such an individual thing. And it's about finding out which part of your body needs that extra support and then learning ways that you can do that. Um, So that sort of leads on to the second part of your question about, do you recommend people telling the yoga teacher? And 
as a yoga teacher myself, uh, there's two aspects to this. So for some yoga teachers, they prefer when their students tell them about any conditions. As, and I'm talking about group classes, because if you go to a private class, it's a completely different story. You have a assessment before your private class and we talk about your health condition. We talk about your goals. We talk about any movement that you already know might be painful to you. And it's very much tailored to you. So 100% in a private session, you have to tell everything and anything to your teacher. Um, however, in a group class, there's two aspects to it. So some teachers might prefer you to tell them, um, especially when it is something relating to maybe like a bigger joint, like your spine or your chest or your knees, um, because then they can maybe put that into their mind and modify the practice for the whole group, knowing what it is that you sort of have challenges with. Um, and on the other side, the reason why I also think it's not 100% necessary to tell a yoga teacher about your condition or any problems that you might be having is because yoga practice is an individual practice. So even though the yoga teacher is showing you different postures and if you're going to the correct class for yourself, then they will provide different modifications. So it's still your responsibility as the student to be safe in your body because no one else knows what exactly you are feeling. And it's only by that listening to your own self that you can truly adapt your practice to suit for your own body. Um, and I also sometimes feel that some students, and I'm not saying this happened at all to me, um, but this is sort of what I heard does happen sometimes for people is that push their condition or their challenge onto the teacher they trust them fully and then they completely forget to listen to their own body and um, so it's sort of like okay I told the teacher that this is the problem I have and she's still leading me into this move so it means that it's safe for me but it doesn't feel good and I'm still in pain but I'm still gonna listen to her because she knows that I have this problem so she wouldn't do this so I feel like there's a little bit of a um, double-edged sword in this because you it's good to tell your teacher and if it feels better and of course you sh maybe can tell your teacher I'm not saying you don't have to at all especially if you're practicing yoga for the first few times and you're still learning then it's it's a great idea to tell your teacher about any challenges that you have but still don't think that now the whole responsibility is just on the teacher because it's still a very individual practice so even though the teacher knows that okay you might have some knee issues and they provide you with modifications to help you throughout the practice and they say the modifications to the whole group it's still your responsibility to choose the modification that feels right for your own body in that moment of time, even though sometimes, and this is what I found in my own practice and with my own teacher's training, sometimes the modifications that we learn in, from the book or from, experience, or from like experience from other teachers that maybe don't live with a chronic illness, it's sometimes not even enough for us. Sometimes we need even more modifications or we completely need to avoid that posture because it's just not right for our body in that time, in that day, because as we know, every single day is so different for us. So just because you didn't do something yesterday doesn't mean you might not be able to do it today and you shouldn't try it again. So yeah, it's, it's a very individual thing. And the teacher could provide as many modifications, but if it still doesn't feel right, then sometimes the best option is for you to just sit out or do into a child's pose, which is the most common posture used for, you know, a little breather, a little more connecting to yourself, especially if you don't feel like you can be following the exact practice. And this is something that I focus very much on in every yoga class that I teach. Every yoga class is chronic illness friendly. So I always make sure that for me, I know the conditions and I know the challenges that my students have because then it helps me create a beneficial therapeutic mindful movement class for all of the students, even if we're in a group class, so that it benefits everyone. But even though I'm saying that, it's still a very individual practice. We don't exactly know how another person is feeling you can only know that truly yourself. I thought that was such a beautiful nuanced point um, that as this, the psychology of being a student doing something that you haven't done before, it would make sense on some level to just, oh, well, I told the teacher, so just do whatever they say, not realizing the nuance of 
no one knows what it's like in your body, even a teacher who's been trained on this, even a teacher who has your same condition. So really listening. And I, I mean, that really resonated with me because I'm such a like teacher's pet. Like I always want to, I have this impulse to follow exactly what the teacher said. And I could so see myself doing that, you know, and um, you know, especially in a group setting in person, like I, I've, def- I've actually, you know, tried yoga multiple times before. Um, and I've just kind of come in and out of it. Um, but you know, I remember certain times in classes feeling embarrassed or like, oh no, I'm modifying it. But it's like, no one else cares, you know, but anyway, point being really important point of listening to your own body, even if you've told the teacher, you know, um, and you're so right. We don't follow the book. There's, you know, and I think I've taught occupational therapy students in the past and it's something that's kind of like a rude awakening, right? Cause you go from being, um, thinking that, okay, if I just learn everything, if I just learn what the textbook says, I'll be able to deal with anything that comes my way. Right. And that's, you know, like rheumatoid arthritis, but the tech textbook, it's bilateral. Well, that's not true for everyone. Right. I only had joint symptoms in my right side when I got diagnosed, you know, but, oh, wait, the book says it's supposed to be both sides, you know? So, um, anyway, uh, that was beautifully, beautifully said. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think I just, yeah, I agree with everything you said. (laughs) So I wanted to give you a chance. Um, we've already kind of touched on a couple of the myths around yoga. For example, the myth that yoga will cure arthritis or cure any condition. Is there any other myth around yoga that you might want to take this opportunity to dispel or bust? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, of course. And I think I could sit here for a really long time to talk about them, but let me just shorten them down. So the few of the ones that I heard the most, the, the biggest one I think everyone will relate to is I'm not flexible enough to do yoga. And honestly, when I hear that, I just want to cry because it's sort of like saying, you know, when you're a little baby, when you're a newborn, it's saying, you know, I'm not, I'm, I can't walk, so I'm not going to walk. It's like you have to learn, you have to practice and you have to, to, you know, do one step at a time and then eventually you'll know how to walk. And it's the same with flexibility. No one is born a hundred percent flexible. Some people get flexible quicker. Some people, um, it takes them a little bit longer. So that's just a very, you know, very personal genetic body composition thing that each one of us has, but no one ever is like, oh yeah, you know, I'm just flexible and I never stretch. Like that's just really impossible. So yoga can actually help you be more flexible and the bad, the right balance of like working your muscles with your own body weight and flexibility is what helps to support our, is what helps to support our um, joints better. So yeah. Definitely. If you think that you're not flexible enough, it doesn't mean that you cannot do yoga. Well, and I just want to add that there's a couple of health conditions people don't always know about that can present with like hypermobility, which means too much mobility at your joints. And that can actually be a really um, not good thing. I'm not, I don't want to label it as like, it's bad to have this, but you know, like um, I always forget how to pronounce it, but EDS, like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, or even um, Down syndrome can prevent present with like hypermobility and like that can actually not be functional for you and not, not helpful for you. So even, you know, there's some great blog posts out there. I'll, I'll try to find one where they kind of showed like the difference in yoga between flexibility um, and the normal range and then flexibility that arises from like a dysfunction, right? Cause it can look, Oh wow, that person's so flexible, but that actually might not be good for their body long-term. So anyway, sorry, I had to throw that in there. <laughs> no, no, no. And this is, this is a really good point because with that, and I've had um, a couple of students which pro- which had hyperextension in their knees, for example. Um, so it would mean that their knees would go in a lot more. They would lock without them realizing. And actually by practicing yoga, it can help you bring that awareness even better. So if you have any flexibility, you know, over flexibility and over too much of anything is not good. You know, too much chocolate is not good, but too much paprika is not good. Too much this is not good and too much that is not good. Um, so yeah, so I think that with yoga, even if you have this condition where maybe it means that you are over flexible or this is sort of the, the composition of your body, we're practicing the right type of yoga for you 
you can strengthen the muscles, which will then balance it out. So you'll have the flexibility, but then you need to work on the strength of your own muscles to help to support your joints. Um, so it's, yeah, it's finding that balance. Awesome. What are some other myths you'd like to dispel? Yeah. Um, so another one, um, and this is very unfortunate as well that people say this is like, oh, I don't have a yoga mat or I don't have yoga pants from Gymshark to practice yoga. And this one is honestly, it just takes off the whole aspect of yoga. Like you don't practice yoga to be on a mat and you don't practice yoga to have, you know, pretty leggings or some special sports bra or whatever. Like yoga is not about that. Yoga is about moving your body, breathing, being aware of your own self, of your own thoughts, of your own body and your breath and being simply mindful. And when you look at yoga, when it was first, you know, introduced into the world thousands of years ago, there was no yoga mats. There was no specific yoga pants or like when you Google the specific pants for the gym now and for yoga and for gymnastics and for dance and for this, like there was none of that. It was, you get dressed in what you feel comfortable so that you can have a yoga practice because the most important thing in a yoga practice is to have the least amount of distractions. So you want to simply be there in the moment with your own self. And if you're wearing something or you're in a location which helps you become more mindful because you're not distracted, but I don't know, too tight clothing or too loose clothing or hard surface or too soft surface, then it helps you get into that mindful state a lot better and a lot easier. And this, this goes the same, like you just need to figure out what it is that your body needs in that moment. Some days I go to my yoga mat to practice. Some days I wake up and I do it in bed. So does this mean that I'm not practicing yoga because I'm in bed and I'm not on my yoga mat? Like that just doesn't mean that. It just means that in that moment, my body needed to do it on my bed. And this is what my yoga practice was. Sometimes I do it in my pajamas. Sometimes I do it in some tight leggings and like it completely depends what it is that your body needs. So not having yoga mat or not having uh, the right the right clothing or <laughs> the, the yoga clothing that people label it on, this is just all a marketing aspect for businesses to get you to spend money, to get you to buy these things. And I'm not saying like if you want to treat yourself and you want to buy these things because it'll help you feel better, then for sure you can do that. But I definitely wouldn't use it as an excuse to not be able to practice yoga. Um, and it's the same for any yoga props, like a bolster or a yoga block or a yoga belt, like all of these names. Like, come on, when you take a yoga block into your hand and you take a thick book next to it, it's exactly the same. The purpose of it can be used in the exact same way, like the thickness, the length, the hardness of it. You can still use it in the same way. A yoga belt, literally a yoga belt is a normal belt or a normal scarf. Like, what is the point of spending some money if you don't have that to buy something because just, it just has the name yoga in it? You can use some other things. And I'm not saying you shouldn't buy a yoga block or a yoga belt. Like I said, if this is what makes you happy and that's what you want to do, then for sure you can, you can go ahead and do that. But it shouldn't be used in a negative way of like, you know, I don't have a yoga mat or a yoga block, so I now can't do this practice. And another one, yoga bolster your modification, grab some pillows. And we're pretty lucky in this world that most of us listening to this podcast probably do have a pillow at home. So you have something that you can sit on. You have something that you can use in yoga as well. And the last one that I think I want to touch on is the myth of not being strong enough to do yoga. Like, because that links very closely to the not flexible enough. And not strong enough is going to be exactly the same answer. You can't build body strength without doing anything. Like you can't just sit on the sofa and be like, you know, I'm not strong enough and this is it. Like you have to start doing something. And the beautiful thing with yoga is that it meets you at your point, at your limit point, at that moment in time, every single time. So it's not like a fitness workout where you're pushing yourself over your limit and you're told by, you know, your instructor, like push, push, you can do more, you can do more. That's not the purpose of yoga. With yoga, you want to reach your limit in that moment, in that specific day. And by doing that, by being in that comfortable spot, with time, you'll see your limit becoming even higher. 
or finding yourself doing even different things. So yeah, it's about practicing. This is why it's called a yoga practice. Um, practicing and teaching your muscles, your joints, your flexibility, and actually working on it. Because by not by sitting on our asses and not doing anything, then for sure you're not going to get stronger or more flexible. Yeah, that so resonates. And one of the things that really fascinated me in OT school, occupational therapy school, is that we learned that you're actually born with all of the muscle fibers you're ever going to have. But you can just make them, no, for lack of better words, stronger, bigger, or smaller. They get bigger or smaller with, again, as an umbrella term, not technically, but um, there, or there's more technical terms for this. But basically, you're born with the fibers that you're going to have for your muscles. And through your activities they get bigger or smaller. So you always have a chance, um, unless you have like a, a central nervous system you know, dysfunction or something where they're truly affecting your brain's connectivity to your muscles. You can, you know, in the case of arthritis, you can in influence that through your activities. And you, you'd mentioned you know, just the movement against gravity earlier. That was another thing that really struck me, even though I was an athlete, I hadn't really thought about this before, how you know, a, a simple exercise would be just lift your shoulders up to like 90 degrees um, angle from your body and just try to and keep your elbows and your wrists straight and just try to hold that for like two minutes. And you'll see, wait, gravity is a very strong force. It's very hard if you're not very fit to hold your arms, just hold them straight out with not holding anything, not carrying a weight. But like you said, your body has weight, it has mass, and it acts against gravity. And our movements throughout our lives shape our, our body. And another example of that is that the curvature of your spine is developed through walking and people who don't walk because of, again, like a spinal cord injury or whatnot, that affects, it's just fast. Anyway, it's very fascinating to learn kind of the science behind it. But like you said, yoga is just a great, I'm sorry, I'm going on to ramble now, but yoga is a great example of something that is affecting your, your body and your mind, you know, even though there's not really truly a separation, but. Um, yeah. And that's so true. I mean, it's, it's such an interesting topic, the body anatomy, but that's, that, that plays a huge role in yoga. Like this is, this was the key thing that I loved the most about my whole training is to find out like, okay, so how does our spine work? How does this muscle work? Or how does this um, organ system work? Like, you know, the digestion, the, the parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system. Like I never knew what that was. I never knew what it truly does in the body. And I feel like now with this knowledge, it helps me help myself better because I'm like, okay, this is what my body needs. Or even a simple like feeling bloating, feeling bloatness and stuff like that. There's like specific poses you can get yourself into and help your body release that bloatness even better. So it's so sort of magical, like knowing how our body works from the science term, which we can then add onto the specific yoga poses, which is where the therapeutic mindful movement of my practices comes into play, that every practice has a purpose and we're trying to work in a safe and beneficial way for our bodies to help whatever it is that our body needs. So yeah, it's a, it's a topic that you can talk about a lot, but it's very fascinating and knowing it. And obviously you can't expect every single person on the planet to know this. This is a lot of information. And this is why we have amazing gifted people that go off to study this, that we can then learn from. Um, so I'm so sort of grateful and privileged, I guess, in the sense that I was gifted with this curiosity about the body's anatomy, because if you came up to me, let's say 10 years ago when I was in school or, or any science class, They'll be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm never going to like this. How could you ever tell me that I'm going to be into like movement and what our bodies and the muscles and our veins and our spine actually does? Like I would laugh in your face. <laughs> and now I look at these videos, I open the body anatomy book that I still have from uh, my yoga training and the videos and all of the different things that we were provided. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm literally like an addict to it right now. I just want to learn more. And it's crazy. It's crazy to think how we go through different parts of our life and we change, right? So now it's, it's a lot about learning and then putting it into practice, which is, it's so beautiful. I love that. Um, are there any resources you'd like to recommend to other chronic illness warriors to learn more about yoga? 
general resources or books or you know youtube channels or anything or you can just we can add this later if you want um yeah so i'm not too sure off top of my head because the ones that i studied from are generic ones so they're not like specifically i mean they're not specific for chronic illness Mm -hmm. there are parts of my training which we went into like specifics of yoga for arthritis for Mm -hmm. osteoarthritis Mm -hmm. rheumatoid arthritis for diabetes and all of this so this was part of my yoga training, but I don't have a specific book on it, but I for sure can give it a search and see if I can find anything that could be helpful. Oh, good. Um, okay. Okay. No worries. So that's for sure. And I mean, always, if you ever want to learn anything or ask about anything, then I'm always here. Like I'm just a message away. So you don't have to pay to send me a message or, or yeah. anything. So I'm always there to help. That's awesome. No, that's what's so great about social media is that, yeah, you can just, you can just DM someone and, you know, they don't have to respond, but you can always ask. Yeah. Um, so just to start concluding, what would you say to somebody who's on the fence about whether or not to try yoga? Like they're interested, but I'm not sure. I don't know if I have time. I don't know if I'm going to be good at it. Am I going to, is, you know, all the fears people might have. Is there anything that you would say to somebody who's uh, reluctant? Yeah. So I think we've, like with all fears, the best way to overcome them is to just face them directly. Um, and that's a very scary thing to say. But first of all, I would say, just have a look at what it is, what is it that is sort of preventing you or stopping you from trying it? Like if it's the uncertainty because you don't feel safe or because you're in too much pain and you're not sure if it'll actually be helpful or not helpful for you, or maybe you're not sure if the teacher will fully understand your condition and the modification that they're going to provide. So like have a look at what the fear is um, and then just approach the teacher and tell them like, look, this is how I'm feeling and I'm not too sure if maybe yoga will be the right thing or, or whatever. And then see if they, they, because they'll be able to help you because sometimes it's better to not do anything. Sometimes it's good to do, or maybe they'll be able to, or for sure I would be able to maybe recommend some other practices that would be more helpful to you than what you were originally considering. And, but then if your fear is more related about, you know, I'm not going to be good enough or I don't have time, then really this is, this all comes down to your own motivation to do something about it. Right. Um, I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to persuade someone to like, you know, go out there and do yoga and do this and do that. Like, I'm not here to do that at all. And this is not my purpose um, for anyone at all. But if you're not feeling like you're going to be good enough, like this is, Another thing, yoga is not a competition. Every single person has a beautiful expression of each posture in their own unique way. And this is what makes it so beautiful, that there is no one right way of doing something. Everyone has their own way and everyone looks in a much different, beautiful way. Um, So you really need to just scrap that idea um, of, you know, I'm not going to be good enough. Um, And the fear that you just mentioned briefly, like, oh, I don't know if I have time. Um then, well, like with everything, do you want to devote time to it or not? And if you don't, then fair enough, then maybe this is not part of your path or part of your journey right now. Um, But when you are ready, then you'll know and you'll be wanting to devote that time for your own yoga practice. Um, So yeah, that I think that that would sort of uh, conclude with with that. And another thing that I'd like to add on right till the end is sort of going back to this whole, you know, yoga is a cure and blah, blah, blah situation that people mention. Um, I say this to everyone, like whatever someone comes to you about and tries to tell you like, oh, do this or do that. Or have you tried this or have you tried that? And they're actually recommending a natural thing. Try to, and this is what I say to everyone, just try to get ahead of the, you know, this is going to cure me wording and just look at it as a, you know, they're just trying to help. They are doing what they can to support you, to help you and give you some sort of advice. And if you haven't tried it and you haven't given it a thought or, or, you know, a trial period, then you can't truly dismiss it because you never know, like it might actually be very helpful. Um, I'm not saying it's going to cure, I'm saying it might be helpful. And there's a difference between these two. Um, For me, 
if someone comes to me like in the past when I was first diagnosed and someone came to me like, oh, have you tried this? You know, it's going to cure you and we won't need you anymore. You won't need your medication anymore. It's like I would get really, really angry. And this is this is just part of the process, I guess. That's what I had to feel in that moment. And I was getting really angry and really frustrated, sort of sort of like very aggressive to a point, I'd want to say, like very verbal aggressive. But like, what the hell do you think you are? Like, you know, I probably... I think that's a common experience. You're not alone yeah. in that for sure. Yeah, it's like, you know, I think I'm more educated about this than you because I am the one experiencing it in my body. So who do you think you are for coming to tell me this? So this is all super normal. And I completely understand anyone who's feeling that way because it's, you know, I've experienced it too. But I feel like now, five years into my journey, it sort of puts a different light onto it. And it's like, you know what, you know, I'm going to give it a go. I know it's not going to cure me, but if I can maybe decrease my medication a bit, or maybe I can have a better quality of life by incorporating something natural like nutrition or movement or mental health aspects. If it has a positive, positive effect on me, then I might as well give it a go. And it's just that that person worded it incorrectly to you and that's what touched you. And then you put your barriers you put your doors you're like no okay he mentioned the word cure then I'm out you know I don't care what else he says um yeah go on I was just gonna say it's really similar to the phenomenon of people saying you don't look sick and I actually Mm. wrote a guest blog post for creaky joints about this where I tried to explain that we have to look at the intent behind the words like and when someone says you don't look sick there is a possibility they're trying to dismiss you right to say well you don't look sick you must not be sick but it's also possible that they're like simply experiencing what's called cognitive dissonance right which is when what the reality you're faced with doesn't match your expectation your brain suddenly is like confused and like wait oh you don't look sick like i'm literally just experiencing like confusion because i maybe haven't been exposed to the idea that people who have a chronic serious illness don't necessarily look sick. And so, you know, we have to understand what is the story behind the person's words that are t- is telling me something and what's our own story and our own meaning that we're putting on it, right? So it's so similar to the someone just saying, oh, just try yoga. Well, they could just be saying it from this warm, loving idea yeah. that if you try yoga, it might help you a lot because I had this experience of help, it helping me or my best friend or my aunt or my cousin, you know, um, or they could just be like, well, you didn't try yoga. So you're like not doing anything to cr- like, I'm not going to feel sorry for you unless you try everything. You know, like, there's so many possibilities of the intent behind the words. So yeah, that's so powerful. And that truly is that's truly the bottom line of it. You know, everyone has a different intent. And sometimes we get clouded by our own understanding of people's words, which actually is not the way that they meant them at all. Um, And this is something I started preaching quite a lot about on my Instagram recently is this whole no assumptions, no expectations and no judgment way of life. This is literally feel like I can tattoo this on my forehead because this is how much I connect to it. And it, it relates to this as well. You know, you don't have to assume that someone says it from a negative intent or from a positive intent. Just look at your own reaction to it and your own sort of understanding of it and take it your way because what they're saying is a reflection of them and how you react and how you respond is a reflection of you. So yeah, to end it, to sort of sum it up is if someone suggests something to you or someone says anything to you to give something a go you know just just give it a go if you want to if you don't want to then that's fine you know you you know best what's best for your own body because no one else is living in your body only you are and you'll know what your body and your mind is ready for in that moment and what it is that it truly needs in that specific moment that's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. I know that yoga is something that so many people are interested in and curious about. So having someone with your perspective from both the patient side and now the teacher side, you're able to kind of speak to multiple perspectives and multiple experiences. So I'm so happy and grateful. And we'll put in the show notes all the different places people can find you. On, but you're, are you most active on Instagram? Am I correct in observing that? Or... Yeah, Instagram. And then I think by the time that this episode is out, my website will also be out fully functioning. So um, yes, but Instagram is where you can just message me and I'll respond for sure. And it's with dot Paulina, right? Yeah. 
Yep. And then chronically happy too. Yes. Yeah. So you've been doing amazing things and I'm really, really grateful. So thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. This is so amazing to, to share a bit of my life, a bit of my wisdom. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Rheumatoid Arthritis Roadmap, your guide to a full life with RA. It's my comprehensive online education and empowerment program. I'm so excited about it. And to learn more, go to www.myarthritislife.net. You can also connect with me on my social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. Check out the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.